Hi everyone and welcome to the Parma podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show. Great to have you all here again and um, I'm really looking forward to today's episode. Um, my friend um, and previous guest and also ex-former podcast, well not former, current podcast co-host uh, on another podcast, um, Kevin Nye is joining me. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. Happy to happy to be here. Always happy to talk to you, James. Yeah, it's always it's always good. We've we've been on so many podcasts together now. It's uh, um, the kind of <laughs> the chemistry is there. <laughs> we've, we've talked a lot. Yes. Um, well, and I, ironically, this is the one where we're not talking about Marvel and superheroes. And today that we're recording is the day Comic Con is happening right now. And in a couple hours, a bunch of announcements are going to happen. And that's the one thing we're not talking about today. Yeah, it's so ironic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And the reason for that is that we're, we're here to talk about your book. Um, yeah. Very, very exciting. I've been, yeah, this has been a book I've been looking forward to for a long time. It's called Grace Can Lead Us Home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a book um, which covers the other aspects of the stuff you do, which is you know, working with people experiencing homelessness mm-hmm. and exploring the homelessness problem, specifically in America. But I think a lot of those principles translate to other other countries as well, certainly to the UK. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So just tell us a bit about the book and then and then we'll get into kind of the story behind the book and exploring what the book's about. Sure. Yeah. So uh, it basically comes from a the intersection of who I am and my life, which is, you know, I was born and raised a, a person of faith. I went to went to school and to seminary, uh, expecting to go into full-time ministry, really diving deep into, you know, theology. Uh, and then that isn't where my career went. Instead, I ended up uh, working in uh, homelessness services in Los Angeles, which is sort of a major world epicenter of homelessness. And um, what I learned along the way, I wanted to, you know, kind of bring back to the the faith community and and kind of report back what I what I experienced and what I learned because I I do genuinely believe that for the most part, you know, people of faith want to do something about homelessness. And granted, the faith spectrum is as wide as they come in terms of what people care about and what values they have. But you know, I think. Generally, you know, there is a sense that, you know, things should not be the way that they are, that so many people are out on the streets, but that there's also a really a feeling of like defeat or like the problem is too big or too complex or too confusing. Um, And so, yeah, my hope with writing the book was to really merge these two worlds that I kind of inhabit and and help make sense of of homelessness for, for people of faith and and give them a way to connect to it in a new way and uh, some tools to, to help us do something about it. Mm, yeah. And I, I, I certainly been reading the book and it's been, it's been educational for me. I've learned a lot about, um, you know, homelessness and people experiencing homelessness and uh, housing and, um, and a lot of other things that, um, that I didn't know before. So, um, I mean, for anyone who's thinking about buying it, I would highly recommend it because because it does it's very educational and also practical and um, yeah and um, there's there's a lot of 
compassion throughout the book. I feel like for people who are going experiencing this, and and I think one of the one of the first things actually I think that I came across in the book um, is how you talk about is the is the language you use for people experiencing homelessness. So, mm-hmm. like instead of saying homeless people, saying people experiencing homelessness or people who are unhoused, right? Yeah. So just mm-hmm. tell us a bit about that the the shift in dynamic and why we use that language instead of the other language that has been used before. Sure. Yeah. And I'm always careful about this too, because um, I've, there has been pushback from, uh, from the community of people experiencing homelessness who are, you know, not as really concerned about the language so much as what the language, you know, leads to or, or what it means for people to actually do something about the issue. But I do think it's important to, to consider language uh, with anything we talk about. And so the shift from homeless people to people experiencing homelessness is a shift that uh, we also use for you know, talking about disability, uh, which is we use person first language that we acknowledge that a person is a person first uh, and that this other aspect of them isn't a descriptor of their entire identity, right? So a person experiencing homelessness rather than a homeless person. Uh, when you say homeless person, that adjective homeless occupies the same, you know, uh, grammatical area in a sentence where you, where we talk about something that's permanent about someone, like whether a person is a, a black person or a blonde person, right? These things that are kind of intrinsic qualities uh, rather than situations. So by saying a person experiencing homelessness, one, you're shifting that, uh, but also using the word experiencing acknowledges that, yeah, it's an experience. It is, it's a situation that doesn't have to be permanent. It doesn't have to be all encompassing. Uh, It can be, it can be brief. uh, And, but there's beyond, beyond that experience is, is a person. Um, I've also used in the book and a lot of people just replace homeless with unhoused uh, to say an unhoused person. Uh, While that doesn't do the person first thing, what it does do is it, one, it kind of just like resets our brains a little bit because we've been saying homeless for so long that we, our brain kind of skips a bunch of steps in identifying what that word actually means, right? That somebody is homeless, that that's the only thing it means is that they don't have a home. Uh, when we, when we say homeless, we have all these other associations that we bring to it because of the way that we've been conditioned. Um, so when we say unhoused, I think it, it kind of forces us back to the topic of housing. And I also think that because it's unhoused rather than homeless, it moves it from a word homeless, which sort of implies that a home is something that they lack, like a possession, like they are just happen to not have a home versus unhoused sort of puts the impetus back on uh, a, a community and their obligation to house people. House is more of a verb in that than a noun. Um, so by saying that they are unhoused, I think it puts the obligation on on the rest of us to say, why does, why is this person not housed versus, Oh, that person just doesn't have a home. Like, like they haven't, they haven't bought it or they didn't, (laughs) they didn't purchase it, you know, versus what, what we owe people. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and I, I that that's really that was. I mean, you that's right at the beginning of the book as well. That and that's mm-hmm. a very that's a very useful um, thing to put right at the start of the book because it it shifts the whole language throughout the entire book. It set, kind of sets the tone um, in some ways uh, for how mm-hmm. we're approaching um, people experiencing homelessness and yeah. the problem of homelessness um, because it makes it about people's humanity. Um, right. Uh, and that these are human beings who are in a situation that may not have been their own of their own doing, probably wasn't, and are just experiencing homelessness rather than somebody who is like fits all these stereotypes that people have and the stigmas that people have around people experiencing homelessness. And it's just a, the, you know this kind of lazy this lazy idea that it's somebody somebody's own fault that, that they're right. experiencing homelessness, you know, which we all know is not absolutely not true. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I'll, that brings me on to, on to another point. That this is something that goes on throughout the book that you talk about. Is there's lots of there's lots of myths and stigmas around people experiencing homelessness, right? And there's a lot, a lot of the chapters of the book are kind of working on dispelling those myths. There's a there's a book there's a chapter on mental health. There's a chapter on on uh, drug, drug drugs as well. The drug mm-hmm. problem. Um, and there's there's a few other chapters which which cover different different kind of things that people often kind of hang around the neck of people experiencing homelessness and use as a, a way to almost dismiss them um, and dehumanize them. So yeah. what was your, as you kind of started working in, in this area, how did, can you give an example of where you kind of, of a stigma that you had that maybe, and how you unlearn that stigma? So and uh, and maybe some of the stigmas that people have and why they exist. Yeah, I mean, I think that stigmas and stereotypes are are things that I think can only exist when you're separated from a community, right? So whether whether those are racial stereotypes or uh, you know myths about people with a particular you know sexual orientation or gender identity. Like it's very easy to keep that sort of othering uh, myth alive until you spend time with people <laughs> from that community. Um, and, and then those go away because you start to see the humanity. And I think the way that it first happens is you, you spend time with people or you spend time with one person from that community. Right. And you see, you see a person, you see nuance, you see details, um, and you can do one of two things. You can go, oh, maybe my assumption isn't true. Or you say, oh, this person must be the exception. <laughs> um, and But then eventually, then you meet another person and another person from that community, and you would realize, oh, wait, they're all exceptions because all people are individuals and have their own stories. And so that's definitely what happened for me in, in very quickly and in the deep end, because my, uh, the job that I got, my role was to be part of a drop-in center, be basically part of a team that welcomes people in and just sits and uh, listens to people. We had some resources to offer, but our main goal was actually just to hold a space uh, in this beautiful patio that we had in the middle of Hollywood and just say, make this space as welcoming 
and safe and conducive to conversation and community as possible. That was my job. Uh, and in doing so, and in working with people who'd been doing it for much longer than I had, it just meant that I was meeting people every single day with, with stories, with nuance and yeah, stereotypes just can't survive in that environment. Right. Thankfully. Um, and so, yeah, all of these myths about, you know, I mean, the big myth that I really try to tackle in the book is the myth of service resistance uh, is what mm. we kind of call it in the field. But what it means is that uh, it's it's the myth that people who experience homelessness want to live on the streets or that they don't want help. Um, and yeah, that myth is so pervasive and it, it really it serves to allow us to not offer help or to offer help once and then sort of brand a person as, you know, service resistant. And then that justifies all these other things that we do like criminalization and um, really just making people's lives miserable. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely one that I, that that stood out for me. Uh, I mean, I I work, I work in fostering and adoption. um, And so a lot of the stories that I encounter are, you know, are people who, you know, we a lot of these things come up that people that that language of being service resistant they're like they're they're, you know, they're not engaging with social services they're not engaging with social workers they're not all that kind of thing or intentionally mm-hmm. homeless you know there's a lot of that language comes up and um so i was kind of when you when that when you mentioned that 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 that, that resonated because i've i've seen that uh firsthand and it, like it, it's it is something that kind of a myth that perpetuates itself that, you know, that it's somehow that when we don't understand people's stories, um, it's easy to put these, put labels on them, isn't it? Like, but yeah, it's always when you, when you experience people's stories firsthand that you start to understand that there's, like you said, that there's nuance and, um, and that every person is different and, you know, that has their own experiences. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and and actually, it's the, I was just going to say, and it's just this thing that we, that we do, that we, you know, we offer somebody a service or a resource and then they say no. And we just, we don't ask why, you know, because we're so, we're so ready to assume that people are service resistant, right? We're so easy to find, we're so eager to find a way to blame them for the circumstance. And we never turn it around and say, well, what's wrong with the services that we're offering? Um, I heard, I heard a really great way of, of putting this just last week from one of my new colleagues. Uh, he said, uh, it's not dog food if dogs won't eat it. Um, and besides ignoring the fact that I'm, it might unintentionally compare unhoused people to dogs, but just the idea that like we can't say that something is for a group of people if they don't want it, Right. Um, like if we were making dog food and you, you bought a big bag of dog food and brought it home to your dog and your dog refused to eat it, you wouldn't go stupid dog. Why don't you eat this dog food? You might go, wow, what's in this dog food? Why won't, why aren't, why don't, why doesn't my dog want to eat it? (laughs) You know? Um, and it's the same with providing 
services for people experiencing homelessness. If you build a shelter and nobody wants to come to it, our usual response is like, oh, these people, they just don't want help. And instead of going, why would people, what, what is it about this shelter that makes people prefer to sleep outside <laughs> than inside? Like, yeah. and then you start to wonder, okay, maybe, maybe the shelter doesn't feel safe for some reason. Maybe the staff are condescending and rude. Maybe the idea of a bunch of mattresses on the floor, two feet away from each other feels less safe than people sleeping in their own tent. You know, like we have to talk about what we're offering in terms of resources to people and question like, is this one, is this the best that we can do? And one, and two, is this dignified? Is this, is this humane? And if not, how could these resources be better spent? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And we'll get onto that in a minute, but there was a story that I remember from the book, which kind of sums up this point about humanizing um, people experiencing homelessness. And it, it was actually, funnily enough, it was a story about um, uh, a man called Michael, yeah. Um, which I, which I loved because it was uh, it kind of made me smile because of you know the, all the stuff we've we've talked about with EMPU and other podcasts, um, mm. and like I, I even I didn't expect to find the story about the MCU in your book, um, but it was in there. Um, but just mm. talking about your relationship with Michael and his love of the MCU and that you bought him um, the Avengers, um, the the last two Avengers movies on DVD and. Like and uh, he was excited to watch them, and you and in between you texted him something yeah. that happened just so that it made sense of the next movie. <laughs> yeah, to help him out, and it was kind of like this is, and it kind of it humanized the whole situation, like the whole it humanized Michael as well. Like that, that yeah, this is just a real person who lo- loves you know MCU stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, gets excited about watching those movies. Who happens to be experiencing homelessness? Yeah, uh, and that's such a big shift from a lot of the perspectives that we often have around people experiencing homelessness. And that story kind of sums it up, really. Um, so, yeah, but yes, yes, talking about like um, possible solutions, like what are the like you talk about this in the book, but where where do we go? Where does society go wrong in trying to deal with the homeless problem? And what are the because there's 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 different because you talk in the book about a new way of solving this solving the homeless pro, uh, the problem, um, which other countries are kind of started to implement, and mm. which it's which you are kind of advocating for. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's a. It's a policy called Housing First, uh, and really it's just built on the idea that the, you know, homelessness, like we said, every person's story is different. The journey toward homelessness is unique for everyone. There's obviously some, like, very clear and obvious pipelines that we need to address, um, and a lot of, yeah. But at, at the core of homelessness is the inability to uh, afford and sustain housing, right? And so when it comes down to it, to end homelessness, we need we need housing. Uh, we need more affordable housing. Uh, we need people to be able to afford housing either because housing costs get lower or people 
have more money, right? Through either wage increases or more employment opportunities, better, better pay, you know, all these things, income coming in, however it happens needs to be able to afford people housing one way or the other. And so housing first, um, is this idea that it go it goes against our typical way of addressing homelessness that we've done for decades, nearly a century that just doesn't work where we sort of tell people experiencing homelessness that they have to earn their way up to housing by basically addressing everything else that's going on in their lives. Right. And then the reward for doing that is housing. Like if you use drugs, you have to get clean and sober. If you have a mental illness, you have to get on a treatment plan on medication, get stabilized. If you don't have a job, you have to get a job and keep it for a certain amount of time. And then once you do all those things, you get rewarded with housing. Uh, for a million reasons that I go into in the book, that just doesn't work. What does work is if you give person uh, give a person housing first, and then give them that that basis, that stability to then work on all those other things. It's wildly successful, and it's it makes so much sense intuitively, right? Like if you were trying to quit using drugs, but every night you go to sleep on the cement and are afraid that anyone can come and steal your stuff. The only thing protecting you from the world is a zipper on a tent flap. Uh, you're not going to have the, you know, the stability to, to make meaningful steps in your recovery, right? If you have mental illness, uh, you're, it's going to be worse when you're on the streets because of that same anxiety, depression, uh, constant fear of like, what, how am I going to get enough food for the day? Right. Um, it makes mental illness worse. Uh, you can't have stable employment because you don't have a place to clean up. You don't have an address to put on a job application. You don't have an address to receive an ID. If you go to the DMV and, uh, need a new ID or driver's license, like all of these things really require some sort of stability that housing provides. Um, and places that have implemented this have seen so much success with it. It truly works, especially the more you kind of adhere to, um, a truly faithful version of it. Uh, there are some places that kind of say that they do housing first, but it's really not quite And LA is one of them. Um, but it really truly makes a difference that giving people a stable situation from which they can improve their lives uh, makes way more sense than demanding people improve their lives in the middle of a chaotic situation and then blaming them when, when they can't. Exactly. And that's a kind of, that kind of merit based system is very capitalist. It's yes. like you have to earn everything you get, right? Your value yeah. comes from what you produce um, mm -hmm. from results from, you know, that you, that, you know, whereas the housing first perspective is that housing is a, is a human right. Mm -hmm. um, and that is how it should be, you know, like healthcare. It's a, like, that's a human right. Um, uh, do you think, you know, that, and it's, it's, again, it's a people first yes. <laughs> um, perspective. Um it's a, you know, and it's it's incredible, really, that this kind of that this, we've used this kind of merit based 
system for, like you say, like over a hundred years, and it's not, and the homeless homelessness problem hasn't disappeared um, right. at all, um, and and yet this kind of this housing first approach um, that you talk about uh, in the book, you say it's been used in Finland, I think, and it's they've I think they've completely eliminated homelessness mm-hmm. um, using the housing first approach, which is incredible, you know. Um, and it makes you wonder why other countries don't use it more, you know, if, if it had that level of effect, you know, in, in Finland, it's had, and it's had obviously been successful in other places. It's been used as well. Then you know, you'd wonder why um, it's not been, it's not been used more. And yeah, um, I mean, that's, that's the whole reason I wrote the book is because when I started to ask that question, why don't we do it? when we know it works and, and I go into this in the book too, it's actually a more cost effective way of dealing with homelessness, right? There is, there's no reason not to do it other than our, our biases and our, our intrinsic beliefs that certain people just don't deserve it. And so that's where I, that's where the title of the book comes from about grace uh, is that if, to me, if Christianity, if, if Jesus, if, faith means anything it means that you know we we operate this world operates on on a different metric than who deserves what um but that instead it operates under the the umbrella of grace which says that like we because of who god is we all deserve you know love forgiveness safety wellness flourishing um and you know, Jesus was pretty, pretty specific and and pretty uh, loud about undoing these merit based structures that say that some people deserve to live one way and other people deserve to live another way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wrote this book because it's so clear to me that the reason that we don't adopt these. Uh, these proven methods is because we're, we're too committed to the idea that certain people deserve to be miserable and deserve to be poor. Um, and, and I just, I, I cannot reconcile that with, with a Christian worldview. And, and I hope that that's the, the case that I make in the book is that uh, one, you know, people experiencing homelessness have not uh, done things to deserve it, right? In the sense that that myth is just not true about how people end up experiencing homelessness by and large. But also what I think is almost a more important point, which is that even if they did, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Like it just doesn't matter what people have done. Even if it is completely someone's own fault and bad choices that they end up on the streets and they do it again and again. I mean, what is what is grace? What is forgiveness? If not the belief that we just give them good things anyway, because that's who God is. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I could not agree with that more. Um, that is, and that's kind of the heart of the book in a way. You know, that's, mm-hmm. um, and there is definitely a an underlying. Like I was going to get, I was actually going to get to this um, message around faith and and why this is important as people who follow Jesus. Um, that 
that we that we work to solve this problem and that and actually i think one of the things you talk about in the book is how how the church in america has often been part of this this problem um uh, and that it is a spiritual problem so tell us a bit about that yeah so yeah initially you know i i wanted to write this book and and i assumed i was going to write it for a christian audience and and i knew that these myths were were part of the church you know the we could find them there. What I didn't expect is a statistic that I found that these ideas are actually more prevalent in the church than they are outside of the church. Um, which in some ways, I, I guess I shouldn't be all that surprised. And this is specifically the, the church in America um, is where the survey was conducted, but that Christians were more likely to associate uh, poverty with, um, and I always forget the exact language of the survey, but with, with being a moral failure rather than being because of unfortunate circumstances. And the Christians were more than twice as likely as non-Christians to say that. So uh, this, this idea that, you know, you identified very spot on as being very capitalist is also just very deeply embedded in the American Christian psyche, um, which, you know, if you, do a lot of reading on, you know, the, on evangelicalism and sort of how, how faith and politics merged in this country. It doesn't really surprise you, but you know, these, these merit-based ideas are, are deeply in our theology. And, and uh, so that's, that especially is why I wanted to write this book and really focus on grace because, you know, I think that grace undoes, you know, these ideas about homelessness, but it goes so much farther to just undo all of these myths about how we relate to, to class and poverty and, and race and, you know, all these, it could really explode out further from that. But I just, I try to really keep it focused on, on homelessness in the book. Yeah, that's right. And it, it, yeah. And it is a theme um, throughout the book. Um, and um, and actually, yeah, I mean, it's ironic, isn't it, that that, that such an ironic statistic that it's Christians that have, in America specifically who who hold these stigmas most of all. Um, when you, you know, that which when it would when you would think it would be when you think it would be the opposite, but it, but in a way, like you say, it's not really a surprise because of how how entrenched capitalism and Christianity are in America. Like, and yeah. Yeah. It's um, funny when I, when I tell Christians that statistically, like really. And when I tell non-Christians, they're like, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so I mean, that's, we could talk about that all day, I'm sure. But that's <laughs> yeah. that our Christians have a very serious PR problem <laughs> that we're not very honest about or aware of. Mm, very true. Um, um, now, one of the things I wanted to get onto is because it's something more practical for many people who are listening. Because there's one part of the book where you talk about um, how um, how we can approach we as like us in our day to day lives if we if we come across somebody who is experiencing homelessness and how we we behave because often that can be a, for people who don't who don't work in home with homeless with people experiencing homelessness on a day-to-day basis and don't have like relationships with them um encountering somebody who's experiencing homelessness can be 
um, to be awkward, you know, um, and we're not sure. Yeah. We can be not sure what to do. And we could be, you know, well-meaning, wanting to help, but not sure what is appropriate. Um, and I think you talk, you talk about this in, in the book. Um, and you talk about, like, you talk about, how we can do this so just uh and there's three things that you mentioned boundaries assumptions and humanity mm-hmm. um so just talk us through that i mean like maybe people who say say one of us meets meet somebody who is experiencing homelessness uh on the way home from work or like whatever um like how can we have a healthy interaction with that person and you know, and help, and maybe help them, or decide what, or or choose what we're going to do, and not feel any guilt or shame, but also acknowledge that we want to help this person. Like, what's the what's the healthiest approach to that? Yeah. So, yeah, I think the first thing I want to say is it's awkward for me too. <laughs> um, so I just I want to I want to give. I mean, it's fitting for the book. I, I just want to give so much grace to everyone in that interaction. Just know it's awkward for me and I've worked in this field for over six years. It's also really important to remember it's so awkward for the the person experiencing homelessness too. Like to to be in a situation where you have to constantly talk to strangers and be dependent on their generosity and and they know that they're bothering people, right? Um, so recognizing that in that interaction, everyone is uncomfortable, right? Um, yeah. And I talk about boundaries, assumptions in humanity. So with boundaries, something I really like to encourage is for them, for the number of times that we have these interactions, we always seem to be walking into them, uh, like completely unexpected. <laughs> like they catch us, they catch us by surprise, even when they happen all the time. Right. And that's because we don't just take the time. We don't think about it to maybe just, you know, sit down on your couch at home and think through, okay, how is, how would I want that interaction to go so that the next time it does happen, uh, it can go that way. Um, and so I start with boundaries and just say that number one, we all have our boundaries, you know, especially those of us that live in cities where these interactions are happening multiple times a day. Uh, even if you, your ethic, if you decided your ethic was you were going to give money to everyone who asked, you would go broke in some cities, right? Uh, giving money every time. So we need boundaries. I need boundaries in my work. We all need boundaries in all aspects of our lives to recognize what can we do and what can't we do. Um, if a person asks for $1,000, most of us probably cannot give $1,000, right? And there's not, uh, there's no guilt or shame in that, Um Ultimately, we just decide what our boundaries are. Maybe my boundaries are like, I do give money when I have cash. I do give money uh, if, you know, under these set of circumstances. Maybe I I give food gift cards, which means you should prepare and have those at hand. Um, I think that, you know, and, and other people have boundaries that are kind of more specific to them and, and safety, right? Um, I'm... I'm a pretty like broad shouldered, tall white dude. So I don't often walk down the street at any time of day and worry about my safety. Right. But I talk to a lot of women uh, who say, you know, I really want to like have these positive interactions, but 
I just don't feel safe when I'm walking in the city by myself at night and there's not other people around. And I just, I want to say to folks like that, like, don't, don't risk your safety, you know, like, um, have those boundaries, you know, in, in the pit of your stomach when you're in a situation that makes you uncomfortable and, and trust that. And maybe, maybe you're wrong. Maybe that person's not, you know, going to cause you any harm, but, but we need boundaries and, and there's no shame in having, having those kinds of boundaries. If you're a person who is also vulnerable, you know? Um, so that's one thing. Um, then assumptions, uh, I, kind of comes back to this idea of, you know, setting up the parameters when you are going to give, but make sure that it's based on truths, right? Um, you know, I know folks that say, like, instead of giving money, I would rather give food. Well, but I also talk to unhoused people who say, like, I'm good with food. Like, there's a bunch of churches that feed us. I ask for money because I want to buy, like, a clean pair of pants, a dry pair of socks. I want to buy sunscreen because it's the summer, you know? So I think there are all, the big assumption is, oh, if I give them money, it's, they're going to spend it on drugs. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> uh, people, people might spend money on drugs, but also the way that addiction works, uh, they're going to overcome any obstacle. Like the, the idea that you not giving them money is going to like launch them into a period of like recovery and sobriety is ludicrous. Right. So I think in some ways we just have to give money with trust that people are, you know, trying to do the best for themselves. Um, so, and that's not to say that you, you shouldn't give food either. Right. It's, it's just to say that we need to question a lot of the assumptions and make sure that they match up with reality in terms of how we're setting ourselves up for these interactions. And then the last piece about humanity is just to say that ultimately our, these interactions that we have, unless you're a billionaire and going to walk up to somebody and say, I'm going to buy you a house or, or maybe the rare occasion that someone's like, look, I'm just stranded here and I'm trying to get back home. Uh, whether or not you give money to a person is not going to end their homelessness. Like their whole like financial and living situation is not at stake, but their humanity really is. Uh, and so I just, I go out of my way to emphasize that when you have these interactions, just make sure that you remember that you're two people interacting and, and making sure that you, you treat someone the way you would want to be treated. And the main thing I say not to do, don't pretend you don't hear people or see people. Don't, don't walk past as if they're invisible because people know. Uh, I've talked to so many unhoused people. They know when you, when you see them and are pretending not to. They know when you hear them and are pretending not to. Um, and you just communicate that they're, that they're beneath you, that they're subhuman. And, you know, I've, I've learned a phrase that, you know, when I'm within particular boundaries and I'm not going to give, I just say, I'm sorry, I can't today. And, and that communicates a lot. It says, it says, I'm sorry, which means, you know, I do, I do wish that I were in a position where I was able to give you some money. It also says I can't, which is clear, but non-specific. you know, I don't say why I don't, you know, so that way I don't feel like I have to lie or have to like overly justify. And then I say, I like to throw in today too, because it does leave a, open the possibility that like maybe I will another day or um, 
it's not a permanent answer that says like I can't and then you assume that you know it's because they don't think they're worth it it's just you know right now today it's it's not going to happen um and I've I've never encountered somebody who flipped out at me for that. I've, you know, some people have asked again or been like, Oh, please. What about this? And, you know, I just have to reiterate, but ultimately those encounters have never been negative when I've, I've used that language. That's really, really helpful. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from, from that because that is an, that isn't, that can be, that's an awkward situation. Like you say, for both parties. Um, And so it's important that we, almost prepare how we're going to navigate that um, mm-hmm. in a way that honors their humanity. Um, yeah. that, um, that doesn't, like you said, that doesn't dehumanize, doesn't patronize, doesn't treat them as subhuman, um, but honors their humanity. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for that. Um, of course. Um, I'd like, I mean, like, what, if there's one message that you'd like people to take from this book, what would it be? What is that message? That is a good question. Yeah, I think I think it's a lot of what we've already been talking about, that, you know, people who experience homelessness are are worthy of of, of love, of acceptance, and of, of help on their terms. Um, I think that's such a key, a key missing piece from, you know, there's, there's the one side that says, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, help yourself. But then there's this other side that I think is more common among, you know, uh, maybe not more common, but it's common among a particular group of people of faith and, and of people who are more, you know, liberal or progressive that's, you know, I'm, I am here to help, uh, take the help I'm offering you, (laughs) you know, and, and it's really, it's more about me, you know, offering you help than, than it is about the, the, the actual person and what their expressed needs and wants are. Um, And so I think, I think grace cuts through both, both of those misguided approaches and says, you know, people deserve, help they deserve a home they deserve to flourish as people regardless of what they've done or what we assume about them and that the help that they deserve uh can and should be dictated by by them as the experts of their own experience thank you kevin for sharing this with us um and um <clears throat> I highly recommend the book to everybody. Um I think by the time this podcast goes out it will be probably be out. When does it release? August 9th. So yeah. a week a week from Tuesday. No, uh, two weeks from two weeks from Tuesday. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, um yeah, I keep but, I keep uh, acting like people are listening to this the same day we're recording. It comes out August 9th, which is on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So go and get that wherever books are sold. Um, highly recommend this book. Um, and where can people find you online, Kevin? Yeah, so I I have a website. It's kevinmnye.com. 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at KevinMNye1. Uh, and I'm also that same handle on Instagram. Um, I'll just admit that I'm bad at Instagram, but please follow me there so that I have more incentive to post good content because uh, it just does not come naturally to me. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, you can find me, Kevin M. Nye. I have a page there. Uh, yeah, that's me. Great. And do connect with Kevin. Um, he's very interactive and mm-hmm. shares a lot of great content. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Kevin. And uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>